Hi everybody and welcome back to Greater Manchester Stories. This episode's story, the lady we'll be speaking to doesn't want her face to be shown, which is understandable once you hear the story. Um, but for this interview, we can call her Cass and she has a story again involving Greater Manchester Police. That seems to be the theme at the moment of this podcast is people not being happy with the service of Greater Manchester Police and saying service is quite an understatement really, but we'll get into that. First of all, thank you, Cass, for coming along to to tell us your story. Hi, thank you, Nick. Thanks for having me here. You're welcome. So let's jump into it. Tell us your story and why you're here today. Yeah, well, um, I'll tell you my story first, and the story is going to tell you why I'm here, basically. Um, but I'm gonna I'm going to start from the beginning, from why I needed to contact the police. You know, it's something that you know, as you grow up, you you think, oh well, whenever I'm in need, I will contact the police. Uh, I'm happy to say that I grew up in a very good family, very good environment back in my home country. And, you know, I never had the need for calling the police, like in this occasion. And I did it here in the UK. And this was because on the 2nd of March, 2000, no, 2021, 2020, no, 2019, sorry. I went on a date with some that I met through a dating site. This dating site was a very reputable one. And dating site, you had to pay a fortune. It was aimed just for professionals. So if you were a professional woman or a man and you wanted to meet someone that on the same wavelength, well, you joined this because it was for real relationships. It wasn't just for, for flings or anything like that. And after many years in a, in a marriage, uh, I wasn't really intending just just meeting anyone just for fun. I really wanted to meet someone because obviously I'm I'm on my own in this country. I wanted to have a, a normal life <laughs> and spend my life with someone. So I went to a couple of dates with uh, other individuals, which, you know, they were pleasant, polite, really nice. They made me feel safe, but didn't go anywhere. So the third time I went with someone else, it was with this individual. He came all over from Nottingham to meet me. We were chatting on the dating site and then on WhatsApp for about four or five days before we met. We made a plan of going uh, first to a restaurant in Manchester City Centre and then we were going to go to sing karaoke, okay, because I love singing. And and we made that plan and I was very excited because he seemed really outgoing, very friendly, very charming. And, you know, he had his own business, he had a, a daughter, single dad. So he ticked all the boxes and made me feel safe, okay? He knew we weren't going to have uh, sex, you know, I'm, I'm not the, uh, I'm not like that, you know, in, in, in nothing wrong, you know, for anybody is my decision. So um, we went for a meal and uh, we had the meal. I had a couple of uh, Corona beers. Then we went upstairs in the same restaurant and we went for two for, two for one cocktails. And I said, and I said, let's have a couple here because I don't drink too much. You know, I have a, I have a condition. We made it to a karaoke bar. He ordered me a shot of tequila. Um, I said, this is the last thing I drink uh, tonight. I'll just have some fizzy after just some, some diet coke. Um, uh, I drank that shot of tequila and 
he disappeared for for long periods and i found myself on my own sitting on on on, on in this place at the karaoke bar uh, i ordered a song and waiting for me to sing the song but i started to talk to random people that were there and as i was talking to them my speech started to go really funny and i started to see people really blurry after that it's just little memories that i've got and that might be like a blessing in disguise because what happened next you can imagine uh, this individual took me with him he had booked a hotel room he took me i don't know how he took me because i don't remember anything after that the next morning i woke up in his hotel room but he he basically he raped me all night I reported it to the police. That was on the Friday after. Remember the events when were Saturday and Sunday. So on a Friday, I reported it on the phone. Um, they told me to go as soon as possible to a police station. When they finally saw me after three and a half hours, they told me, sorry, we cannot help you here. You will need to go to Central Park Station. And I said, whatever, I'll go. So I drove all the way to Central Park. They had me waiting there for an hour and a half. Okay, which is not a lot compared to the first three, three, three and a half hours that they had me in Barry. And when I finally saw someone, it was a lady. She was a detective, uh, and you could tell she was specialist in in sexual crimes. She was very good. She she asked all the right questions, and she made me feel very reassured. Yeah, that that uh, that. She's hurt. What what I told her is is normally what happens when when someone is is struck and raped. I spoke to her and she said, "Okay, I took your report, but I want you to go to Saint Mary's Sark, you know, the sexual assault referral center, and so they can do a full forensic examination. And tomorrow you need to come back and we're gonna do a video interview, sort of what I did that day, but they wanted to do it on a video." And they did all the tests. They kept my clothing, the clothing I was wearing on the night. Uh, they took all that as evidence, the police. Let me just sort of pull this together a little bit. So obviously something horrendous happened to you on a date. You did everything you possibly could to be safe on that date. You went to a decent dating website. You chatted to the person beforehand. You met in a restaurant. And, and now you're trying to deal with the police. So to begin with, the police are busy. So making you wait three hours at Bevy Station to tell you you can't come here. That stuff happens all the time. Um, but then when the police started looking into this, they had an opportunity to get the videotape. But because they were too slow, that, that has now, that's now been deleted. What, what happened? Then I found out it wasn't that they were very slow. You know, it happened that whoever was in charge, well, I know the name of the detective, but I'm not going to say names because I've never met him. It was someone that he was given the responsibility of getting that CCTV. He sent the email saying, send me the CCTV for this time or whatever he put. And you are meant to attach and see attached form. And apparently he didn't attach the GDPR form to be able to obtain the CCTV. So incompetence from a police officer? Yes. Incompetence of a police officer, but then I found out that he was moved to Rochdale with a promotion, by the way. He was promoted? 
<laughs> you can't make this up sometimes. You really can't make this up. So his incompetence, and let's be honest, we all make mistakes, but his incompetence of not attaching the GDPR form, which which is standard procedure. When when I complain, why didn't you do it? They go, Sandra, it's not the be all or end all. That's what they would tell me. And then they uh, they would um I, I was just stunned by it, you know, but that wasn't like like the shocking moment. I said, well, they might have something under their sleeve that they know that they have that is going to help for this to be investigated properly. Then they called me around the 10th of May. Yeah, I was in work and they called me again and they said, oh, he's come today for the uh, for the voluntary questioning. And he came with a solicitor. She told me that, well, he's saying it's consensual and and actually he's really shocked for the claims that you you put and for reporting him and that you got on really well. And Sandra, but why would he rape you? He seems really nice. That's my detective speaking to me. Okay. And, you know, it might be a, a tactic to get a bit more information from me, but still not good when it wasn't the only time she did it three times in three different calls and remember the calls were four weeks in between them so for months I kept being told that so I started that's when I noticed you know I don't think this is going anywhere and I asked her did you take his phone and she said no because he uses his phone for work I said well I said to her I use my phone. It's important, my phone, to me as well. And one of your questions when you interviewed me was if I was aware if he recorded me or not when he was raping me. And I told you, how would I know if I couldn't, if I was coming on and off of consciousness? And and I think it would be more important to actually investigate the rapist than the person that is put the report. Or investigate both of us, if you want. I can understand them saying that to you once, because to see your reaction. I, uh, yeah, I understand that too. I thought, well, maybe it's a, maybe it's a way, and, and I did understand, but she kept doing it. Well, three times, I, I, th I think it's far too many times to to say that. And, and after that, I realised, you know, they know they messed up this badly, okay? They know they, they, they ruined my chances big time because, yeah, all these crimes, yeah, he says, she says, and all this nonsense. Yeah, it's true. No one was going to be in my room. And because I wasn't dead, no one can just do me justice because I'm not dead. And he didn't kill me. I would have been the evidence. But the only evidence they could put together, right, they ruined they ruined it and they kept telling me that it wouldn't be that important for the jury if I, if I looked sort of passed out and he was uh, dragging me to, to a room. I would disagree with that because if you were semi-unconscious being dragged to the room, that doesn't prove you were raped, but it, it, but it does prove you weren't in a fit state, which then, which then puts more suspicion on that man, which means you need to put more resources into it to investigating that man. In investigating that man, well, the the best is yet to come because, you know, the, the, the hospital took the hair sample another day that I was crying so much in April. They took my hair 
I went to see my uh, independent sexual violence advisor, Ispa, a couple of months after, and she told me, you know what, after I got my hair taken out, and, and she told me, you know that the police only came for the sample yesterday? Yesterday. So two months it was in the hospital, that sample. Okay. After the police took it, I kept chasing the results. No, no, there's a long wait for, for these results. There's a long wait for, for the lab. There's a long wait. Around November time, I get a call. No, it was December, December time. And the detective says, Sandra, well, they didn't find anything but the medication that you take. And I said, okay, and what happened to the date rape drugs? Uh, they said, well, Sandra, they told us that the hospital didn't take enough hair. So they didn't take enough hair. They didn't even do the test. They did do the test, but because it wasn't the amount of hair that was required, they couldn't check for GHB. And I have the copies of the results and GHB is not mentioned anywhere. When I saw the actual, I managed to get by a subject access request, the results sent to me. Okay. And when I saw them, I realized that it's got the dates and the date when the lab received the sample, it was still a few months after the police got it from the hospital. So there were like something like four or five months in between before from when the sample was taken from me and when it arrived to the lab. If they didn't have enough hair, it's because they didn't preserve the evidence. All the time they were calling me and telling me all these things that he looks like a nice man, she looks like a nice man. Because on one occasion, I found out that this guy was stalking me on, on social media, on Twitter. Uh, even though I blocked him, he managed to get his own business account to do it. I went to complain at the police station and they told me, why don't you delete your social media? The man you've accused of raping you? is now following you on social media after you've put the report in. You could class that as harassment, intimidation. Yeah, witness intimidation. This incompetence is rife through the whole public sector. Proving a rape is very difficult and it should be difficult, but th that isn't the point here. The point here, GMP made a whole series of mistakes that ruined any chance you had to get justice. Let me ask you this one last question before we go. So as somebody who moved to this country and now you live here permanently, you thought of the police positive in this country. What's your thoughts now of, of British policing? I told my older daughter when this happened and, uh, and I said to her, listen, you have to look after yourself. Don't count on everybody respecting you. You have to be very weary wherever you are. You have to be careful because if something happens to you, the police is not going to do anything and your mother is going to have to do time inside. Well, if I become, if I become mayor of Greater Manchester, I'll be fixing the police. I'm, I'm sure, I'm sure you will, Nick, honestly, I, I really, I really hope that could happen because really with Mr. Burnham, we've not got much support. Thank you, Kaz, and I'll speak to you again soon. Okay, take care. Bye-bye.